One and two and three and four. There's murder and intrigue, but the kids of Riverdale are gonna be just fine, just fine, just just fine. There's Jughead and Betty, and Dad's a serial killer serving some jail time, jail time, jail jail time. We got milkshakes and pops. And mimosas at Veronica's Yeah, the kids of Riverdale are gonna solve some crime Some crime, some, some crime Cause the kids of Riverdale are gonna still be fine Maybe damaged, damn, damn, damn Sit right down, you're gonna have a real good time With Team Cheryl Who's Archie? Hey guys and ghouls, you're probably a little concerned that my voice is not Andrew's voice. And uh, I know that it's the spooky season and maybe people use voice changers, but this is in fact not Andrew. This is Sophie, sometimes guest of the Milkshakes and Mimosa podcast. We are covering um, a week for Andrew while he is recuperating and editing all the podcasts and just generally being the absolute superhero that we all know he is. And so he asked myself and uh, my co-host, Hannah, say hi, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. (laughs) He asked us to cover the 2013 Carrie remake. So some of you may know, but likely most of you don't. Um, Hannah and I are sisters, and we have a horror podcast called 28 Days Later that is sort of a... The general vibe is like a silly tipsy brunch with your girlfriends uh, when you talk about horror movies, if that's an experience that you have. Um, So please feel free to check us out, but we're going to do our damnedest to do as good an episode as Andrew would have done had he had us on as guests and discuss the new Carrie movie. Um, Now, Hannah... I should say before we even start that uh, this is sort of like a running joke on our podcast that I am a nerd and sometimes do what they call too much. I actually read Stephen King's Carrie for the first time in preparation for this episode. So I'm going to be coming at you with like secondary experience uh, that you may or may not have. Normally I find your goody two-shoes behavior uh like you're trying to make me look bad but in this case it might help me make sense of this movie a little more so (laughs) i might be okay with it solid um so let's dive in um the the listeners have heard my voice maybe once or twice but not honestly not as much as i wish they had i i've really slacked off on being on milkshakes and mimosas uh so uh, apologies to Andrew, and you've never been on the show. So Hannah, as a complete stranger to the podcast, tell us about your experience watching the 2013 version of Carrie. I've never been on this podcast. Have you? Wait, what podcast did I do you for? Uh, that was the Behold and Electric Terror podcast, which is different oh. than this one. Oh, okay. Oh, uh-oh. This is the moment where we <laughs> tell Hannah... The- you're reading the extra book and I'm getting like getting which podcast I've been on confused. <laughs> <laughs> now in fairness, Andrew was also on that podcast, but this is Andrew's Riverdale podcast. Oh yeah, I know that. Yep. 
<laughs> like, I know this is Andrew's Riverdale podcast. I just forgot what the other one was. <laughs> Although, to be clear, it, it feels like you could have been a conversation had on Milkshakes and Mimosas. Exactly. We, we, of course, are covering Carrie because in season, I don't remember, of uh, Riverdale, they do a Carrie musical in one episode. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on uh, quickly and impressively um, with my <laughs> amazing thoughts um, about this movie. So I had seen this movie mm, sometime around when it came out. I, I guess I watched it probably like a year or so after it originally came out. Um, and everything I remembered about it remained true like I remember Portia Doubleday being so annoying that I just wanted to punch her in the face like the whole movie which I think you know is a credit to her because that's how she's supposed to be yeah Portia Doubleday as Chris Harginson who's just yeah. like the outright villain of the film yeah just like yeah just terrible and then I also remembered that Ansel Elgort was like in this um before he really wasn't anything else um but, like, <laughs> watching it again, I had even more of just, like, the feeling I had watching it the first time, which was just, like, why? Yeah. Like, I was just like, why are we doing this? Like, there's nothing really new or different, and I guess they try to put, like, some cyberbullying into the plot to be like it's updated for modern teens um but for so much of it i was just like why why are we doing this like (laughs) right and like it was like boring which i know this is not our podcast but anyone who listens to our podcast will know that to me the ultimate sin that a film can commit is to be boring right Especially a horror movie. Especially a horror movie. Like, you can be bad. You can be, you know, like, I don't know. It can be terrible writing. You can have a boom mic in the shot. But, like, as long as it's not boring, (laughs) like, you're doing something worthwhile. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this uh, this was actually my first watch of this version of Carrie. I have, of course, seen Brian De Palma's uh, Carrie from the 70s. Uh, I don't know, nigh on hundreds of times. I've seen it a lot. But I didn't really have a lot of familiarity with the original source material, and I had not seen this remake. And I remember when this remake came out, you and I watched the trailer and sort of had the reaction like you just stated. Why? Why do we need an updated version of Carrie? Why do we need a new version of Carrie? Why does this movie exist? And I think so often, at least for me, when you're going to remake a film um, or try to reinterpret a film in a different time period, you sort of need to justify the existence of your project, right? Like a perfect example, I think, would be the recent remake of Poltergeist, which not only does not justify its existence, but honestly loses a lot of the heft of the original because the original was set you know, in the like height of Reaganomics America and was commenting on capitalism and Reagan's presidency. And then they just sort of did a shot for shot remake set now. And it was nowhere near as interesting. 
And so I fully went into this version of Carrie expecting to have that reaction. And I didn't have exactly the same reaction as you. I think my reaction was a bit softer, but I think that I had the reaction I had because of reading the book. So I genuinely read this book and the day I finished the book, I watched the movie. Um, and so I think like I can see things that the movie was trying to do to sort of like pull aspects out of the book that didn't really get fully addressed in Brian De Palma's version. I also think it's worth noting that Kimberly, Kimberly Pierce, who directed this movie, uh, is a friend of Brian De Palma, has been friend, friendly with him for quite some time and got his blessing to do this. And she very explicitly didn't want this to just be a shot for shot remake of the original. She wanted to sort of do in what she felt was a more faithful retelling of the original book um, and work a lot more in building the relationship between Carrie and her mom um, and also portraying Carrie as less of a sort of uh, passive victim who sort of ultimately reaps revenge but doesn't seem to take a super active role in it in the book and in this movie you know, Carrie is practicing her powers and is very active in the revenge at the end, which we can get into once we get there. But it's sad because it, it seems like what happened is this director, you know, had a love for the book and really wanted to do something interesting. And then the production company was sort of like, no, we just want a remake of the original. And they cut over 40 minutes Whoa. of footage that she had building up that the sort of like the story around Carrie's relationship with her mom and her relationship with her telekinesis to boil this down to a remake of the original, which I think, like you said, is ultimately it's, it's failing. Yeah. Like I, I feel like this kind of came into an, an era of horror movies where there were all of these really like, like soulless uh, remakes of classic horror movies that are just mm -hmm. done in like, a darker color scheme. They just sort of like retread and then they're like, oh, but look, it's like darker, <laughs> like visually. So therefore it's darker in actuality when it's like really the same thing. And like, I'm actually like, that makes some sense to me hearing that because one thing I found particularly jarring in the movie is that Chloe Grace Moretz, like her Carrie, like her, her turn seems like it comes out of nowhere. It's like, she's too scared to talk to anyone. She's too scared to like, yeah, like to, to even stand near people in gym class. And then, after she says that she will go to the prom with uh, Ansel Elgort, all of a sudden she's like talking to people. She's like looking at prom dresses. She's making a prom dress. Like her, her, the switch in her character seemed to me like so abrupt. Like all, like she was scared of her mom. And then all of a sudden she's like, Hey mom, I want to do this. I'm going to do this thing. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm going to make my dress. Like it was to me a little wild. Cause I was like, this just to me feels like it's really unearned. And sure. 
if there was so much filmed that explored like more of her progression and more of her like coming into herself, I imagine like that wouldn't have felt so false to me. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely right. I mean, I think some of that stuff um, bothered me a little bit less because in some ways I actually feel, and this is not in any way to fault Sissy Spacek's performance or the original Carrie, but I sometimes feel like the turn in the Brian De Palma movie where she starts using her telekinesis at the prom to kill everyone feels like a really harsh turn because we Mm -hmm. haven't seen her actively use her powers and now her powers are killing people. And, and at least for me watching the movie, um, it's unclear in that version, like whether that is an intentional thing she's doing or it's just a, it's a, yeah, like kind of unconscious response to the amount of fear and trauma that she's experienced and the Mm -hmm. amount of anger that she's carrying. So I did like that in this one, we have instances earlier on of Carrie like practicing using her powers, but also um, they include a scene that's in the book where when she gets home after having her period and she has that really traumatic experience at school, this kid is like taunting her and she knocks his bike over mm-hmm. um, telepath telekinetically. And so I really, I actually really liked that turn because I I wouldn't change Brian De Palma's version, but I remember when this movie was coming out and we saw the trailers and I was sort of bitching about how I didn't care. Like I didn't need scenes of her practicing her powers because I didn't care. And I actually felt watching the movie and reading the book, like I enjoyed seeing that because then it feels like Carrie has more agency at the end when she is, sort of like taking her wrath on everyone. It feels mm-hmm. less like another thing that is happening around her. And like, it's more like something that she is actively doing because she's just had enough. But I agree that um, some of her character uh, points as far as her comfortability around other people might feel kind of jarring. And that does feel like a thing that probably suffered from the edit more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it seemed like her kind of coming into herself and standing up for herself really came out of nowhere in this version. Um, and so I guess, yeah, like, that part of it, too, that in the De Palma version, you're right, that, like, at the end, it's sort of, like, unclear if it's on purpose or if it's just, it's just happening because she has that power and this, like, horrific thing has just happened to her. And in this... It was sort of, like, she's very obviously, like, decidedly, like, especially, like, with stuff, like, when she closes the bleachers on someone, like, she is, you know, obviously making choices to kill people and kill people in, like, really aggressive and gruesome ways. And some of that, to me, I was like, but what? Like, where? Like, <laughs> when did she, <laughs> like, I don't know, it seemed like so much of what I saw of the early stages of her character were just like her standing slightly hunched and looking down. And then all of a sudden she was like, yeah, I'm killing people like, (laughs) and I'm getting creative with it. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to push you gently on that and just ask. uh, So I don't know when is the most recent time that you watched the Brian De Palma version, but do you feel like, 
that shift feels less jarring in that version. Like when she starts killing people at prom in the Brian De Palma version, does that feel less surprising? And if so, why? Yeah, so it is something I kind of thought about because um, I do love the original Carrie and I, I haven't seen it for a few years, but I always, like, the first time I saw it, I was like, this movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. And every time I've seen it since, I've thought that. Um, also, though, watching this movie right now, I was like, wow, watching teenagers violently killed in a gym is not as fun as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of, you know, like, the culture around it of, like, how common that has actually become that made it harder for me watching this movie this time around that I was like, ooh, this is tough. Um, But then I think, so I I did try to think to myself, like, why when I watch the old Carrie, does that feel okay? But when I watch this Carrie, it feels not like it, it feels upsetting to me somehow. And I think one thing is, is that Sissy SpaceX performance in the original is... Like, her version of Carrie is so genuinely vulnerable and, like, just believably outcast, I suppose. Like, mm-hmm. that when I watch it, I I feel for her so much and really, like, feel that her performance is, like, like she is Carrie. Yeah. Whereas with Chloe Grace Moretz's role in this, I didn't feel that way. Like, I didn't... To me, I was like, this is Chloe Chloe Grace Moretz, like, hunching her back a little. Like, it didn't really feel like she was lost in the character the way that I've seen it done, like, before. And that, I think is part of what makes the payoff uh, at the end also less enjoyable because I don't, I didn't really feel for her that much because I was just like, I don't know, like the, the movie feels so hollow to me that I don't feel that bad for Carrie in this version of Carrie because I'm just like, I don't believe any of this. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's weird that- to me that they cast of like Chloe Grace Moretz to play Carrie when she was like 15, but then everybody else who's playing a high school student is like 25. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> because Chloe Grace Moretz was actually the first person to ever play Carrie who was actually a teenager. I think mm-hmm. Sissy Spacek was like 25 and the woman who played her in uh I think in Carrie the Rage was like 28. Um but I agree with you that while I think Chloe Grace Moretz may have been capable of playing this character. She's sort of cast in this role when she's like really at a height in her career. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like this movie could have been better served had they cast someone that um, you didn't know quite as much. Because I agree that it was hard to separate Chloe Grace Moretz from Carrie. And so I I under I recognize that I think I like this movie more than you because I had just finished the book and I enjoyed the book quite a bit. And so 
I could sort of, there was a lot of transference from me, from, or sorry, sorry, for me, from the book to the movie. Um, where for me, I think it didn't really matter who played Carrie because I was just in Carrie from the book. But I agree that like, I think casting someone who was that popular at the time um, to play Carrie was maybe not the best choice. And like, I will give credit to Chloe Grace Moretz. It sounds like even though she was quite young when she did this, I think she, based on what I've read, it sounds like she, A, she took the role really seriously. She didn't watch any of the previous Carrie films because she wanted her performance to not be influenced by Sissy Spacex or anyone else. And it sound I read that she um, tried really hard to like stay in character for the entirety of time she was on set and that the director had her go um, like spend time at a shelter for folks who are experiencing homelessness and just sort of like volunteer there and spend time with them to like understand like if you're a 15 year old who's a child actor, like you might not understand what it's like to have had a life that is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like it sounds like she really did put the effort in to try to, you know, bring her own interpretation of the character and do an honest interpretation of the character. But I agree with you that it's hard to have someone that's that well known. And I understand that like, it's not like Sissy Spacek was an entirely unknown entity when Carrie came out, but I also saw Carrie much later than it was released. So when I saw Carrie, I had never seen Sissy Spacek in anything else. So like for me, it's like you said, Sissy Spacek is Carrie. That's like, that's just the end of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, um, this may be an unpopular opinion. And I know you disagree with me on this with some people, but recently I have become aware of a trend in acting specifically like young females acting mm-hmm. where they just flare their nostrils like just like <laughs> more and more open to show that they're experiencing an emotion and they're often just like staring into into space or staring off and just like flaring their nostrils and I don't know why but that really annoys me <laughs> Like, it just really bothers me. Um, There's an actress that I've spoken about this with you, Sophie, that you disagree Mm -hmm. with me on. And I do, Um, yep. But I noticed a lot of that, like, vacant stare, nostril flaring type of acting from Chloe Grace Moretz in this as well. Um, That It's just not my favorite style. And I also feel like um another thing i really dislike in movies is bad wigs and there were yes yeah, so a lot of bad, bad wigs, wigs in this in movie, this movie. <laughs> and on top of that like there were also times where chloe grace moretz's hair was like kind of reddish sometimes she was wearing like a red wig but then other times she was just blonde and i was like don't understand what's happening and then also when um when she gets asked to, when she agrees to go to the dance 
And then she wore like a, a long dress without like a shirt underneath when she went to school. Um, and her mom gets mad at her for being immodest. Mm-hmm. She also has like perfectly done hair, like parted down the middle and cascading curls. And I was like, okay, so this girl who's never spoken to anyone, never like always been too scared to even like acknowledge another person all of a sudden knows how to do her hair because one boy talked to her. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's just know. that. That's just that uh, Hollywood shorthand that we love where it's like, like she she's well better now because glasses off. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like in Jurassic world where it's like, watch uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's hair get more and more like beautifully professionally curled as she is out in the wilderness running mm-hmm. for her life. Um, no, for sure. I I want to talk to you about the opening scene of this Carrie movie because I actually found it to be incredibly effective. And I wonder what you thought of it. So this, th- this new Carrie opens with the sequence where Margaret White gives birth to Carrie and um, considers killing the baby because she worries that... Um, it is somehow that Carrie as an infant is somehow monstrous because she didn't know or believe that she was pregnant until the moment that she gave birth. And so she feels like this is a test from God and she has to kill the baby. I thought that scene was really horrifying. Yeah. I mean, even just like the screaming and everything of when she's like in the process of birth. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to ask you if, if that, if that's from the book, that scene directly is not from the book. So they sort of allude to the fact that Carrie's father left before Carrie was born and that Margaret White uh, did not think she was pregnant. She thought that she, that God had given her some sort of like stomach or ovarian cancer because she sinned by having sex with her husband. Yeah, she Carrie's says that in the, in the movie. Right. And so that... Um, when she did go into labor, she delivered the baby at home. Um, and they sort of like speak to all of that, but there is not any kind of specific scene like there is in the movie where you are, um, where there, where the narrator is like describing, you know, Margaret giving birth and then like pulling out these huge scissors and, um, trying to, get the strength up to kill the baby. I thought that scene was um, really horrifying, but I think it, because like I said, it feels like this version really wanted to look more at the relationship between Carrie and Margaret. Like I thought that was a really cool way to start the movie. And it was, like I said, reading what I did, it's disappointing to know that we probably would have gotten more scenes like that of sort of building that abusive relationship that, that ended up getting cut. Because then this scene just stands to be in there for shock value and not really for a lot else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, um, I also couldn't tell in that scene if when she went to stab the baby with the scissors and stopped, if it was her decision to stop or if it was Carrie's, like, mm. powers protecting mm-hmm. herself. And if that made her, like, kind of reconsider. But I couldn't really tell. I didn't even um, think of that, but that's a really interesting read that that is sort of ambiguous in that scene. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it sounds like you were not a fan of them sort of adding an element of cyberbullying. Is that fair? I was, no, I, it's not that I was not a fan. Like, I, I actually kind of appreciate that they included that or, like, made that connection. Okay. Um, I just don't think it was enough of a reason to, like, justify a remake. Um, sure, sure, sure. And, um, like, it, it's really hard, too, because the, obviously, like, the original Carrie, this, the locker room scene at the beginning is, like, gratuitous. Mm-hmm. And, um, being that Chloe Grace Moretz was only 15 when they made this movie, and just in general, like, I can understand why an actress wouldn't want to do the scene of, um, of her getting bullied completely naked. Um, we also have a female director this time around, so right. I imagine I, that, that her sensibility also impacted why we don't have, like, yeah, a very long, I, like, softcore uh, montage right, right, of right. naked teenagers. But yeah. I almost wish that, um, that when they were throwing things at her, that even though we didn't see her nude body, that we, like, understood her mm. to be nude... Um, just because I think that that aspect of that experience is even, makes it even more heartbreaking. Um, and I guess like because, and for, especially for the cyberbullying element of it, for it to be like filmed and, and shown around and, and shown at the prom, I think like the impact of that would be a lot more impactful. (laughs) Um, if she was nude because it would kind of bring more in to the conversation about um like like people's nude photos or videos being shared like without your consent and when they're a teenager and just like i think that's such a big part of the kind of cyberbullying conversation that i think that would have made it more impactful um so it's not that I don't like it or that I um, was, like, annoyed by it or anything. I just thought that it could have been more – it could have just done been done better. Okay. I, yeah. I, 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 under, I absolutely understand what you're saying as far as, like, obviously being naked in that scenario just makes you more vulnerable. Like, being physically naked makes you so much more emotionally naked, and that – of course, like compounds the trauma she's experiencing. I I thought the that like adding the element of cyberbullying was really interesting because um, it it sort of to me it I thought it actually heightened the sort of like emotional stakes when Carrie does sort of snap at the end because it has always felt a little ridiculous to me. I mean, listen. We both didn't have the most fun time in high school, so I understand that kids in high school are absolute fucking gargoyles and they're just not nice a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of me that always like really struggled to be like, oh yeah, a whole room full of like a hundred students would laugh at this girl yeah. when someone drops blood on her. Like that's not funny. And I get it that you all bully her, but like it never made 
a lot of sense that everybody would laugh at that. And I, I, I think the idea is supposed to be that it's like uncomfortable laughter, but mm -hmm. I think that when in this film, in this version, when they like, she, it's not when the blood gets dropped, when the blood gets dropped, everyone is shocked and horrified. Yeah. But when the video comes on, that's when everyone sort of like uncomfortably laughs because they don't know what else to do. And I thought that was very powerful because that to me like makes that scene make a lot more sense. And I think it makes the payoff feel like if you're someone who has ever been bullied or treated poorly, there's a part of you that's like, oh, it's really satisfying to watch her just sort of like burn everything to the ground. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, Tell here's us how you I, really feel. Here's what's really interesting. So um, in the book, it is clear that when the bucket of blood fall, it's actually two buckets in the book. And so like one falls on Carrie and one falls on Tommy and Tommy gets hit in the head. And it's clear in the book that Tommy dies mm -hmm. when the bucket hits his head. This is the first movie to make it explicit that he is killed yeah. when that happens. And I actually really appreciated that. Like I thought that was very interesting um, because I've always found Tommy and Sue's characters to just be like really interesting. Like they're both popular kids and Sue was involved in the initial bullying and then sort of feels bad after the fact and is sort of using her boyfriend, Tommy to absolve herself. And, um, he, but they're, they both have good intentions and he's so nice to her and it feel and and genuinely like it feels like he's very genuinely kind to her and it is i found it really devastating when she like goes over and realizes mm -hmm. that he's dead and in this version it feels like again that is like just one more step towards her cuz that she realizes he's dead before the revenge starts yeah so it's like not only have you humiliated me over and over and over again. But now this person who was nice to me is dead because of your stupid jokes. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that his, his death being made clear and being more obviously like a, a catalyst to what drives her into that kind of a rage. Um, I think kind of helps that make a little more sense. Yeah. I had a I had a question for you, which is that uh, I don't know if this stuck out to you, but because I really love the Brian De Palma version and have watched it a ridiculous amount of times, I don't know if you caught that this one has like a really great getting ready for prom montage that feels very reminiscent <laughs> of the one in. So like if you haven't seen the original Carrie and you're listening to this, or even if you have and maybe you just forgot. Carrie, for the most part, is a pretty dark movie. Even when Tommy's asking Carrie to prom and they're having a nice time and it feels kind of light, the whole movie is pretty dark and upsetting. And there's this weird tonal spot at the beginning of the third act where it's like everyone getting ready for prom and the boys are tux shopping and the girls are getting ready. And there's like really happy music playing. And at various points, the film is like sped up while they're all like trying on their weird tuxes and dancing around. And um, I, it really, it, man, it really pulled on my heartstrings that they just had, like, just a montage of everybody getting ready for prom. Like, it felt like such a cool 
way to pay homage to the original um, without like they did. Obviously they didn't do it shot for shot because that segment feels pretty dated now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really liked that. And I didn't know if, if you had caught that and enjoyed it or, or not. Um, I, I haven't seen the movie like recently enough to have fully caught that. Um, but it did make me laugh because they use that, um, what is it? The, what's that band? The pretty, wait, young and, well, it's like, well, I love it, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Punching in a Dream. Punching Isn't in that, a Dream. Um, young and Famous? famous young and, and Famous, thank you, yeah. yes. The music so, in this was really good. I yes. like the music really got me in the feels because it was like all of my college music. That same song is used in the trailer and the movie prom that came out not that long after this one. <laughs> um, so that also made me laugh because I was just like, lol, this song is like the ultimate, like, we're getting ready for prom song. It's a prom song, bro. It's always like, we're gonna go to prom. Did you see that, um, I don't know if it's HBO or, I can't remember if it's HBO or Netflix or what, but some uh, streaming service has made an entire musical called Prom. Oh, boy. Written no, I and directed not. by Ryan Murphy and starring James Corden and Meryl Streep. Ugh, I'm just, like, so Yes, you not heard that right, it. everybody. It's a movie called Prom starring two people <laughs> over the age of 40. I am just so not at all here for any of Ryan Murphy's shenanigans. I have been hurt too many times. Uh, sorry if I upset you, listeners. It just feels like for any of you out there that are still, like, oh man, I haven't liked the last 15 things that Ryan Murphy did, but maybe this one's going to be the one. He's never going to give you what you want because he doesn't know how to finish a story. I agree with you. And if you watched the TV show Hollywood more than one episode, you would also see that once again. I didn't, but a great I pi- believe A it. great pilot. And then by like episode two, I was like, ooh, they. Yeah, the problem <laughs> is like, I think Ryan Murphy is so talented. He can, he, he comes up with great ideas and he has a beautiful eye for aesthetics. And I think he comes up with amazing concepts. But the problem is, I don't think he thinks through any of his concepts before he pitches them. And then he has to fill out a whole whatever 10 episode run. And he just like digs such a deep hole. I have a client who loves American Horror Story, and uh, before American Horror Story 1984, he wanted me to watch the most recent season. And I genuinely could not even get through one episode. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I just don't like Ryan Murphy. So when 1984 started, he really wanted us to watch it together. And I was like, okay, I will watch this whole series for you and we can talk about it. And I just remember at the end of it being like, he was like, yeah, I just thought like it started off so cool. And then at the end, it just like was really disappointing. And I said, yeah. And that's why I don't watch anything that Ryan Murphy does. Yeah, it's like like everything else Ryan Murphy does. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So anyway, uh, this is the end of our uh, anti-Ryan Murphy segment. Uh, Here's a really interesting thing that I would love your feedback on. and, And I honestly don't know how I feel about it. So I'd love to unpack it with you. 
Um, I don't know if you're aware of this because I was not. Uh, but in Stephen King's book, Carrie, that the both films are based on, um, Carrie is repeatedly described as being very unattractive. She's like chubby and pale and covered in zits. And whenever he describes her, Stephen King uses words like bovine and frog-like. <laughs> um, like, honestly, it's pretty misogynist and kind of cartoonish, like how out of his way he goes to be like, don't forget, she's a real uggo. Like how um, well Hermione was described in Harry Potter in the beginning. Yeah, so I wonder, like, what does it, what does it mean to you? Like, does it... What does it do to the story in both the original Carrie and this Carrie to have Carrie just be like a relatively average looking attractive person as opposed to someone unattractive? Because I should clarify, Margaret White is also described as being like overweight and unattractive in the book. So, yeah, well, that's something I also find sort of frustrating and a little offensive about this movie is that, like, Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore are obviously both beautiful women. Mm-hmm. And for most, for the most part, all they really do to them is put them in, like, a frizzy wig. And be like, look, look at how frizzy her hair is. She's a nerd. Like, that also makes it, to me, like, less believable like less vulnerable you know like Julianne Moore is an amazing actress and I do think she did a good job in this movie but I still felt like she didn't she also didn't fully melt into the role in the way that I've seen her melt into roles in other movies Mm -hmm. um or other things um so I think that was also a little disappointing to me like I also just think that Chloe Grace Moretz is beautiful um and so there are moments for me watching it where I'm like I don't know like it it's like you said with if you were someone who did experience bullying in high school how you know you might have a reaction or like feel some type of way about the ending you know you feel some catharsis Mm -hmm. in the same way like I feel like when I watch Carrie, I want, like, I want my Carrie to be a little bit more believably an outcast mm-hmm. in in looks, I suppose. Because I, I don't know, like, that's probably something to do with, like, the, like, flat-chested teenager in me um, that is, like, I don't know, like, yeah, like, I wish that the, the, the Carrie I'm seeing was more representative of more typically outcast people than, like, a gorgeous blonde. Sure. I Although am... that said, Sophie, you are a gorgeous blonde, and that never seemed to stop people from <laughs> bullying you. So, <laughs> so I was going to, like, my, what I was going to say actually sort of related to that, which is I, upon reading the book, was, like, actually very startled with how out of his way Stephen King goes to describe both of them as just being, like, really ugly. Um, And I actually felt like I really like the choice that both movies make to not have 
like both the original Carrie and this one, to not have the actresses that play Margaret and Carrie be like quote unquote conventionally unattractive. Like, because I think a lot of what you said as far as like conventional uh, paradigms of of appearance for um, Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore are also true of the actresses in the original. Oh yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, like they're both beautiful actresses. And honestly... Although I think Sissy Spacek has a... Uh, I don't know how to say this without... <laughs> she has like a more otherworldly appearance. Yes, she has She's a weirdness not, to her face. She, yeah, her face is super unique. I would not say that like Sissy Spacek falls into like the same kind of conventional attractiveness that um, Chloe Grace Moretz has. But yeah. I guess my point is that I kind of liked in the in both film adaptations that they took away the idea that like, oh, people don't like Carrie because she is fat and has pimples. Because that's just like such a stupid, shitty thing. And I like that in this, it's just like, we're going to take away the superficial part of it. They just don't like her because she's different. Like, they just don't like her because she wears clothes that they don't understand and she acts in ways that they don't understand and that is what makes her an outsider and I did actually really appreciate that both in the original and this version that like I think as terrible it is as it is it would be more culturally acceptable to be mean to characters that are quote-unquote unattractive so like I appreciate that they didn't do that because I think that's a low blow however I think there's a problem with the idea that, of course, the filmmakers want us to empathize with Carrie. And so if they're just like, look, Carrie is like, quote unquote, normal and quote unquote, pretty, just like you. So you can relate to her. Like, that's also problematic. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, so I don't know which is the intention of the movie. Like, if they were just sort of like, let's take away all the superficial bullshit and make it more about how... Carrie is just different and they don't understand her because I think like I as, know, a gorgeous sort of blonde, like in, um, as a gorgeous blonde who was bullied a lot in high school like <laughs> people just didn't understand me you know I, so. I I also feel it's sort of like with Kristen Stewart and the Twilight movies a little bit how she just like bites her lip and laughs awkwardly and they're like get it like she's every girl but she's also weird <laughs> like I mean, again, Hannah, I'm feeling personally attacked by how you feel like pretty people can't get bullied because like, <laughs> I got bullied a lot and I'm a like a 10 out of 10. So, <laughs> but I do have an awkward laugh. So thanks for pointing it out. So I am every woman. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I see what you're saying and I agree. Like, I think if they simply like made her heavier and we're like that's why everyone's so mean to her like well I don't know because I don't love that either as an explanation like I feel like that's lazy that's but, just like lazy but at the movie same shorthand time, that I don't I hope necessarily we're think that that's not often true like for a lot of teenagers like that is true right I agree like teenagers agree. are assholes so I don't know like it's a tough question because I don't want to rely on that like stereotype of heavier people being like outcast or they can't be normal or they can't be 
loved or, you know, just like how in movies it's like, oh, they can be the best friend that's supporting the, like, conventionally skinny girl and, like, you know what I mean. Right. Um, I'm tripping myself up because I don't mean conventional, like, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) You mean that, like, within our culture values a very specific kind of body type. And if you don't have that specific kind of body type, then our society has decided that you are somehow Right. And I'm not saying that I feel that way. I'm saying like in the in the in the context of a lot of film, that's how film expresses it. Um so I don't know because I agree that I wouldn't necessarily or I don't know how I follow on it. Like it's a really good question. Like because I think that there are probably a lot of girls who experience bullying because of their weight and could have appreciated being, uh, like, represented in this film as well. That's a um, very fair point, yeah. I mean, also, everyone at this fucking high school is a goddamn Abercrombie and Fitch model. Yeah, and everyone at this literally school has 0% like body fat. In the entire high yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there was a lot about representation in this film that was not... Not ideal. Not ideal. Um, but, yeah, so I don't know. It's an interesting question because I think that as much as I totally stand behind, um, like, a movement to not use fat suits in comedy and not, like, put this thing around body types like a, a bigger body type is hilarious is inherently hilarious or something like mm-hmm. I very much support that um and I and I'm happy that you, we're seeing that so much less now but at the same time I think that there are a lot of um unfortunately a lot of times where a person is being bullied for their weight or treated differently for their weight and I actually think it may be more powerful, may have been more powerful to show that um, than to just use, like, a gorgeous girl in a frizzy wig. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point. That I'm glad we talked about this because as I was reading the book and watching the movie, I was sort of, like, trying to decide what side I landed on. And I think what I've decided is I still haven't decided. Um yeah, and I think it's also totally fair that, like, Stephen King's version of it or interpretation of it or, like, his use of language around it may have been very much something that was not great um, and that would cause you to feel, like, completely adverse to it. Um, so right. me saying, too, that, like, I might have liked that better or it could have made the movie more powerful is also not to say that, like, in the in the novel or something that the way it's used in that is not problematic oh for sure so i think we're getting towards the end i want to talk a little bit about um sue and chris who are sort of the other two primary Wait, you female keep characters. asking me so many questions and i have a question for you oh please go ahead because we haven't mentioned it at all what did you think about the weird and sort of unnecessary inclusion in the scene where Carrie's reading a poem in class and her there's a girl in her class who's, like, making sexy eyes at the teacher. And the teacher's like, oh, hubba right. hubba. 
Yeah. Um, like, how did you feel so about that? Because I, <laughs> I was like, what? I thought it was. I thought it was weird. I did read when I was reading about stuff that got cut. Specifically, they were talking about how like that was a storyline that had more to it, where it was like that teacher was cruel to her because he like had a relationship with a student. And like, so he sort of fell, fell into the same shit that all the kids did where it's like, haha, the cool kids make fun of Carrie. So at the, so she's the girl who at the very end during the prom scene, she gets lit on fire because she's mm-hmm. like the DJ and she's the one that puts the video of Carrie on the, on the projector. So I didn't catch this watching the movie, but he's the person who's like, whatever her name is, like, we got to go. Who's like trying to get her out of the auditorium. Hmm. Um, who dies with her in the auditorium. So it seems it like, I shouldn't say it seems like there were apparently other scenes to like establish that like they had a relationship. And because of that, that teacher was like not at all nice or sympathetic to Carrie that got cut out. So I agree with you that that was really weird because it just seems like if you're not going to keep the whole plot line, you don't need that shot in that scene. Yeah. But I just assume that like, that was the only coverage they had of him saying a line. So they're like, okay, well I guess we have to keep it even though there's no reason for it to be in this movie anymore. Yeah. Like it sort of struck me as a bit strange because I thought that there were kind of moments that they included to implicate different characters in her bullying or like make them worthy of the fate that we all know they're headed towards. Um, and so like, right for that scene, I was like, Okay, so is it supposed to be that this girl is a slut and so she deserves to die? Or, like, this girl is sleeping with her teacher so we should be happy that she dies? Like, I was kind of like, why are we including this? Like, I don't feel great about this. <laughs> no, I th- I mean, I think we're supposed to think it's okay that she dies because of all the other horrible, mean stuff she does to Carrie. Um like being the one who lets, you know, like she's the one who's most directly implicated in Chris and Billy's plot. You know, like she lets Chris in mm. and yeah, stuffs the true. prom queen ballot and if, plays the video. I kind of just felt like <laughs> the bullying could have been worse. <laughs> that sounds really bad to say. Uh, well, Let's just skip right on past that and get back to my other question, which was, um, I want to talk a little bit about Sue and Chris, because they're like, they're two characters that I think within horror movies, like I, those are two characters that I remember quite a lot. And, um, and I, I had some feelings about, I think I liked the way that both of them were. Um, developed and portrayed in this movie. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are. So Chris, I know you know this, but for anyone who for some reason hasn't seen any of the Carrie movies, um, Chris is sort of the... Chris and Sue are both popular girls and they both take part in the um, sort of like harassment of Carrie at the beginning when she has her first period. But Sue feels guilty afterwards, whereas Chris doesn't. And so when punishment is laid at their feet... Sue sort of takes it happily because she feels like she deserves it. Whereas Chris 
pushes back against it and ultimately is the one who um, dumps the pig bloods on Carrie's head. So, and Sue is the one who gives up going to prom and asks her boyfriend to take Carrie instead because she just feels bad that they've always been mean to Carrie. So what did you think of, um, aside from Portia Doubleday being really annoying, what did you think of uh, Chris and Sue in this movie? Um, I thought that they both did a, a really good job, honestly. Like, I mean, I say that Chris was, un, like, annoying me and need to be punched in the face, but I <laughs> feel that, like, is a compliment. <laughs> um, like, she's good at playing, a like, a heinous bully. Um, and I also appreciated that they gave us, like, a little bit of a glimpse into, like, her relationship with her father to sort Mm -hmm. of show, like, she also has a story. Like, she also has a backstory um, that leads her to being a bully. Um, And I thought that the actress who played Sue did a pretty good job, too. Like, um, I guess I was worried that I would be like, ah, she's just, like, too pretty. (laughs) Um, for me to believe that she really is, like, a real human. But I actually did think she she did a good job at, like, of, of her remorse and everything feeling real. Yeah. I Yeah, I agree. I actually think, so this movie, um, I think, spends more time with Sue and Tommy. And I think that that is a really good thing this movie does because I think it makes it more believable when Sue is like, I'm going to give up going to my senior prom so that my boyfriend can take Carrie instead. Like I think in the movie that in, in um, Brian De Palma's movie that gets like kind of skipped over and the woman who plays Sue is amazing. So her performance is great, but I think there's always a suspension of disbelief. That's like, I don't, it's hard to buy why somebody would do this. Like, yes, I know you feel bad, but surely there's another way to make this up to her because I don't know if I buy that you would sacrifice this much. But I think this movie incorporates other scenes from the book, like the scene where Sue and Tommy are sleeping together in the back of the car. And then she's sort of like talking about how guilty she feels for being involved in what happened to Carrie. And I think we just like get a lot more. Yeah. Of her, like, we see her struggling with this throughout the movie so that when she decides not to go to prom, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, this makes sense because we know that she's having a really hard time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like, it wasn't just a split-second decision. Like, you see her in multiple scenes struggling over feeling guilty and wishing that she could do more to make up for it. And then you also see the moment that it, like, clicks to her that... Carrie likes her boyfriend or that she, Mm -hmm. you know, like notices him and appreciates his kindness. So I think you also see the moment that she like figures it out and decides like, Oh wait, this could be how I make this right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And, um, I, I agree with you that Portia Doubleday is really good at playing the bully. I really liked her performance, but I think more than that, I just really appreciated that this movie seems interested in like making Chris a more like three dimensional villain and not just like a mean girl. Like we just see her throughout the movie being so 
callous and mean and vindictive. Um, and I found it noteworthy that in this movie, um, Sue gets her own, sorry, not Sue, Chris gets her own death sequence. Like, mm-hmm. Sue, Chris dies in her own death scene. And, and I think that's important that, like, Billy dies first and, and also heinously because he was involved, but that, you know, Chris was the ringleader. And so she, um, Carrie should get her own sort of personal revenge on Chris, which I, which, which, which doesn't really happen in the original. Like, Chris and Billy die in the original, but they die together. And it's very like, oh, they're dead now. And, uh, Chris's death in this movie is really gruesome. Yeah. Well, and it's like she it's also like semi her own fault, too, because it's like she's already seen Carrie like stop the car and she's Mm -hmm. still trying to push the gas and push the gas and push the gas. And then Carrie like acts like she's going to let up for a second. And also like Chris stops for a second and it's like, oh, there could be a moment where they actually, like, can you know, like, connect and forgive each other or something. And then instead, Chris just, like, immediately revs again. And instead of, like, stopping her, Chris or uh, Carrie just moves out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That, like, ultimately in this, in this movie, what kills Chris is, like, her inability, her stubbornness, right? Like, her inability yeah. to acknowledge when she's wrong or when she's been outmatched and just fucking lay off. Like she can't Mm -hmm. do that. Um, Yeah. I thought that I really, I really liked that. And I thought this movie did a good job of sort of like building more of a relationship between Sue and Carrie. Um, Really interesting in the book um, after Carrie kills her mom, she leaves her house And then she goes and kills Billy and Chris. And so Sue goes out looking for Carrie and finds Carrie after she's killed Billy and Chris. And Carrie is like on the, on the verge of dying. She's just like about to die. Mm -hmm. And Sue just holds her while she dies. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is such a, I'm really sad that none of the movies end that way because I just think it's such a profound thing where if you're a, uh, if you are a person who grew up in like a female identified body, you likely had the experience of other girls being mean to you, even if you were popular, like even if you were like rich and pretty and everyone liked you, people were likely still mean to you. And the idea that like at the end, Sue is with her and holding her even after everything that's happened is like so heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. you know, because like I imagine on some level she can understand Carrie's experience, even if she hasn't had the experience Carrie did to the same degree. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, again, like, they don't do this in any of the movies. But in the book, it's, like, a- alluded to that Sue might be pregnant. We, we In this movie, it's explicitly said that Sue is pregnant. Yeah. Carrie, like, Carrie's the one that figures it out. But in the book, Sue is worried that she's pregnant. And as soon as Carrie dies and Sue is walking home, she gets her period and realizes she's not pregnant. 
What? what? Yeah, which is like such a beautiful cy- cyclical thing from the beginning, you know? Yeah. Why didn't they yeah. include that? That would have been great. Uh, if only. I heard this movie had like several different endings, so maybe that was one of them. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> um. All right. I think we're wrapping up. Do you have anything else about the 2013 car- uh, Carrie that's just like burning a hole in your pocket that you got to say? Hmm, I don't think so. I think I got most okay. of it out. Okay, All got over. most of it off your chest. Well, um, for any of you that have made it this far in the episode, thank you for hanging with us. We know that we are not Andrew, and we never can be Andrew. Um, but if you did enjoy listening to us talk about a movie, you should check us out. Our podcast is called uh, 28 Days Later, uh, and you can listen to us discuss such films as uh, Halloween, which we're releasing as a special episode for Halloween. Um, and I believe we discussed Fantasy Island, which also has Portia Doubleday in it. Yes, it does, where she also plays a mean high school girl. But, like, yeah. many years later, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's really some good crossover there if you're if you're into it. But uh, thank you all for hanging with us, and uh, keep it spooky. <laughs>